Amen. Let's be seated. Love that old hip. It's my favorite. Somebody asked you this morning as we get started, what is really important in your world? What's truly important? What if you lost everything that means anything to you? Would you still worship God? Would you still cling to him and his word? It's a very important question today as a Today we are talking about the persecuted Christians around the world. We are focusing on, on a response to persecution today. The prophet Habakkuk knew just what it was like. His people were about to lose everything. But in spite of his fear and his questions for God as to why all this was happening, he, he comes to a point in his life where he's able to sing and praise the Lord and composes this beautiful prayer that is a song in his book. We're going to be looking at that book this morning, the book of Habakkuk, and uh, we want to consider this question. Would I still worship God if it were me going through these difficult circumstances? So let's start with prayer. Let's prepare our hearts to hear God. Heavenly Father, you are the creator and the sustainer of all things. And we know that you're wise beyond anything that we can imagine. You have reasons for everything that you do, even though we may never understand why something happens. We ask today that you open your word and that you help us to consider the words of your prophet. Help us to see the faith you placed in the heart of this servant in troubled times. Teach us to have the faith of our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution for their beliefs every single day. And Lord, we ask you to erect a hedge of protection around us this morning as this kind of sharing can antagonize the devil. Push him back, Lord. We rebuke him in Jesus' name. We take that authority. And Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself in your word and in us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. How many have recently read the book of Habakkuk? It's just like, oh, well, a few of you have. That's a good thing because that's often a place where we don't end up, you know, in the minor prophets and it's kind of buried in the middle there and you, you kind of go to the center and then take a detour right for a couple of books. It's, it's hard to get there. Uh, it's, and it's not something, you know, you get, we have trouble saying that name. Some say Habakkuk and some say Habakkuk and it's, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, I was taught to say Habakkuk, so that's what I'm going to say. But um, he's not really that well known. But here's a prophet who was raised up during a very short period of time around the year 612 BC. We don't have any biographical information about his life. Almost all the other prophets, it tells you where they're from and it tells you a little bit about their family and things like that. But nothing from Habakkuk. The only thing we really know is from his book, the one that has his name on it. And he doesn't tell us where he's from, doesn't tell us what he did for a living before he started, nothing. 
but we do know that he was a prophet. He was a man called specifically to speak God's word to God's people and to proclaim the will of God. Prophets were often give very, given very special insight as to what's going on around them in the world, especially the spiritual implications of what was happening in their day and age. And they sometimes saw into the future and saw what was coming. They always warned God's people to return to their faith, to return to their God, and to cling to God. Habakkuk prophesied in the southern kingdom of Judah. This was a time when the kingdoms were split. The kingdom was facing imminent invasion by the Chaldeans. We know them as the Babylonians. And, uh, and at the same time, all around him, as he looked at his own people, he saw that wickedness was growing and growing. You might remember last week we talked about King Josiah. Uh, how he found the Lord's word that was hidden in part of the temple when they were actually bringing out some money to pay for the temple's repair. And, and Josiah taught the people of God to follow God's word. And, and he gathered them all together and they had a covenant together that they would follow God's word and they would do that throughout their whole lives with all their hearts. Well, there was this massive revival in, in Israel and this massive revival broke out in Judah and it was amazing. But then Josiah died. And that was the last great revival recorded for God's people. It was sad. And things went down very rapidly. And, and uh, I want to begin this morning right about that part, right about that time. This is where Habakkuk comes in. I want to look briefly at two big questions that he asks God about this terrible state of things and, and a couple of God's responses. And in the middle of that, there are some principles that we can hold on to that we can follow when we get in the middle of very difficult or even catastrophic times. The first thing I want to look at is Habakkuk's first question. Habakkuk's first question in chapter 1. The prophet is very upset about what he sees in the state of God's people all around him. He's really upset. And starting in verse 2, he, he starts talking to God. He's kind of belligerent towards God, you'll notice. And he says to God, How long, Lord, must I call for help that you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounding. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. You ever feel like that? That kind of sound like it might apply to some places that we are today? We think about these terrible things sometimes happening. The whole country feels like it's falling apart sometimes. And, and sometimes it feels like, well, God is not coming to the rescue. Maybe it's a personal situation that you're in. And you've been praying and calling out to God. And, and maybe you're starting to feel like, oh, God doesn't really hear me. He's not hearing me. Maybe he doesn't really care about me or what happens to my life. You ever have that feeling, that little bit of doubt that just kinds of, kind of worms its way in when you're really struggling? 
Verse 1 in this chapter, this lament that he is sharing, verse 1 says that these complaints and these questions that the prophet is asking are part of God's revelation. And we don't think about complaint as part of God's revelation. Well, what he's doing is he's putting some of the words into the mouth of the prophet. He's bringing these questions out on behalf of all of Judah, on behalf of his own people. And remember that these complaints that he's making, these are about God's people. These are not the people outside the walls. These are God's own people in the terrible state that they've gotten into since the death of King Josiah. And he has to ask God, he says, why aren't you doing something about this? I want to point this out. It, it suggests to us, as we look at it, that it is okay to ask God questions about what's happening around us. Now, I think sometimes we get the impression that we're, we, we can never question God. We can never ask those questions, those hard questions that are right there in our heart. If they're in your heart, you should ask them. Because God's got big shoulders. And God's ready for this. You know, the whole deconstruction movement today where we're taking our faith apart and we're, we're looking at all the different parts and trying to see what's, what fits and what doesn't, what's real, what's not real, and all of those things. At some point, we have to reconstruct. And it's okay to ask those hard questions because I believe with all my heart that God will give you an answer when you ask him. And that's what's going on here. He's asking these really hard questions. If we never ask questions of God, we end up with what we sometimes call blind faith. Well, his faith isn't blind. And he asks some pretty hard questions. And God is up for the challenge. God gives him an answer. He says, I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. Look at, look at what I'm doing. I want you to look at what I'm doing. Now, then he comes up with this. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am doing something. I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize the dwellings that are not their own. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, you're that guy. You're not a hero. Uh, we don't know where you came from. Maybe you were a sheep herder. Maybe you were a weaver or a tailor or some very ordinary thing before God called you. And God tells you, I am going to bring the most godless, evil, and powerful people that you know about to fix this problem that you're complaining about in Judah. Wow. It's like being hit between the eyes with a two-by-four. Now, it's a little bit like emptying all the prisons of all their worst criminals so that you can deal with the problem of crime on the streets. You know, it's that kind of an idea. And you've just accused God of doing nothing about the wickedness among his own people. And this is his answer? So that leads to Habakkuk's second question. And the second question starts this way. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. 
You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordered them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? We always think we're better than the other guy, don't we? We're more righteous than them, and how come you're using them to punish us? It's kind of a, you've got to be kidding scenario, isn't it? I mean, seriously, God, seriously? These are the most godless people that we know on earth. And they're far more wicked than us, and you're going to let them swallow us up. Well, we know from history what's going to happen next. We know that they are going to be swallowed up. We know that, that they're going to lose everything. The temple worship is going to stop, and it's going to get raided. Their ancestral homes will be taken from them. Their way of life will be gone. Their freedom will be taken as they go into captivity. This is how God is dealing with the wickedness of God's people. Hardly seems fair, does it? I mean, it just feels like it's all kind of backwards. Don't we sometimes have difficulty when we consider the balance between God's goodness and God's justice? Sometimes those things are at tension in God's word. You know, when God is showing his goodness to everyone, we sometimes feel like God's justice is lacking. And when God is being just and bringing justice with people who are getting kind of what they deserve, we question God's goodness. We have a hard time with this balance as it's going on, no different than what they were having in their day. And it's not just in situations of injustice that we question God's goodness, is it? You know, I hear people all the time, way at time, there's a big stumbling block, you know. If God is a loving God, why would he let such and such happen? You know, we struggle with this question of God's goodness all the time. So what happens when we believe in God and we follow in God and we come into a time of calamity? How do we cope with that? How do we deal with that? What do we do with that? I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. Her name is Rachel, or Rebecca, rather. And um, this, in God's second answer to Habakkuk, there were these words, see that the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faithfulness. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening I was out with my daughter and on our way home we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together, every day. 
And when our children were old enough, we're ready to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever. this Bible, it reminds me of God's faithfulness. Naked I came from my mother's womb, but naked I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. is a husband to all widows. Now I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to.
repeat that verse I read right before that started. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to live by faith, even in the presence of the enemy, even in the middle of destruction. The rest of chapter 2 is God's judgment and his pronouncement of woes on Babylon for doing this, for attacking uh, Judah and God's people. And, and the judgment on them is because of the violent things that they have done. And, and that pretty much covers that whole chapter except for one thing. There's a, a verse at the end that I think is really important. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now think about it. Why, why is that verse in that spot? Why is that verse in that place uh, listing all of the terrible things that, that are going to happen and all the terrible things that Babylon will do? I think it tells us that God is still there, that God is still in charge. He has not left. He hasn't gone anywhere. He still is faithful. Think about Rebecca in the video. What'd she have left? Not much of anything, right? Not much of anything. She lost her home, her husband, her son all these things that mattered to her, but she found this blackened, partly burned Bible that had been given to them as a wedding gift, and she clung to it. She hung on to it, and she studied it. She still has it, and she kept her faith in God. We look at Rebecca and her situation. We ask, where's God in this? Where's this good God that we love? Where is he when I need him? And Rebecca's answer was to cling to God's word and to God and the promises. She quotes from Habakkuk right here, the promises that God has made that we're going to see in a moment. Here are a couple of principles that I, I think are really important in the middle of this. The first one is that we need a kingdom perspective like she has. And kingdom perspective number one is that when calamity comes, we still have victory. Sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? There is a huge contrast here between the enemy and the true people of God who live and survive by faith. Habakkuk spends most of, of its word reminding us that the victory of evil men is just temporary. It's not permanent. The things they've taken are only things. The house that they built by injustice becomes part of the judgment upon them. The ruin they bring to others will bring them shame and loss in their lives. God says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. He says, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire. The idols they worship are only wood and metal. They're not real God. Our God is eternal. Our faith is in God, the real God who is in his holy temple in heaven. 
And we will survive if we cling to him. We will have victory if, like Rebecca, we cling to him and his word. From the world's perspective, we lost. You guys lost. Look at all the stuff you lost. How can you worship God? But from a kingdom perspective, we still win. Because our hope is not in this world. As disciples, we may be persecuted for righteousness, but we have not been forsaken by our God. Paul told the Corinthian church, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And why? We're not crushed or in despair or destroyed because we are not abandoned by the God we believe in through faith in Jesus Christ. And we live by faith. We live by faith always. We live by faith in good times and in bad times. We live by faith in blessing and in hardship. We live by faith at any cost. And sometimes the cost is great. Our perspective in life is a little different. Let me give you another kingdom perspective here. Well, I'll try to. <laughs> when calamity comes, there is still hope. When calamity comes, there is still hope. You know, a time is coming when things are going to be different. Our hope is not in this place and in these things that we have. That's what God promised Habakkuk. In chapter 2 and verse 14, God said, a new day is coming. He said, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's read that again. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the waters, it's a comparative. As the waters cover the sea. Words will be, they're not might be. They're not maybe. They're not, well, if things work out, this is how it's going to work. It's a promise. This is how it will be. The kingdom perspective is that God's kingdom will come. The world will be filled with the knowledge of God. In Hebrew, this word for knowledge is the word yada. And it's not just a, a knowing about stuff. You know, we think of knowledge. Well, I got all this stuff here. You know, all this stuff I've learned. But that's not what it's all about. Here, related to God, when it's put together like this, it means knowing God himself. In Hebrew thought... The knowledge is all about relationship. And, and to know God is to be in right relationship with God. And it says that he will manifest his glory in the middle of that. This is the same kind of manifest glory that we see when God appears as a pillar of fire or a cloud of smoke above the Ark of the Covenant, signifying the presence of God. And how wide will we know God personally? As the waters cover the sea. As wide as that. So while we might experience calamity, 
a time will come when the enemy will fall and God will be known personally and his presence will be experienced by everyone. God will prevail. And that's what Rebecca is clinging to. That's the center of her faith. She quotes this verse. Psalm 100 says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. This is how Rebecca can survive the terrible things that she's been through, the burning of her village, the loss of her son and her husband. She knows that this time of hurt will be gone. And she's living by faith in God through following Christ Jesus. And therefore, she has hope in God who has not forgotten her. He is faithful forever. So what about Habakkuk? What about this guy who's been asking these questions of God? You know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing And why are you using them? God gives him a new perspective, a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective. He gives him a vision that tells him what's coming, that this isn't all that there's going to be, that there's more on the way. All of chapter 3, all of chapter 3 is a song of praise for God. And I really encourage you to Maybe even today, if you need to, if you have a little quiet time somewhere, to sit and just read that chapter. You know, sometimes maybe you're struggling with that question of justice. Maybe you're struggling with that question of hope. This is a really good chapter to read, Habakkuk chapter 3. It speaks of God's justice and his saving faithfulness. Though everything else fails, Habakkuk says, yet... I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Only possible if we cling to God and cling to his word. We're going to finish here with a special reading from that song in chapter 3 from the song of Habakkuk. Uh, we encourage you to do your part. You'll see your part come by when it comes up on the screen.